want to invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10 today. Thank you, brother. Proverbs and chapter 10. The book of Proverbs claims that there are two ways to live. One that leads to flourishing and life, and one that leads to destruction and death. Two ways to live. One that is easy and simple. One that is uh, persuasive in the moment. And one that is really hard in the moment, but the right choice in the long term. If, if you're looking up there at that screen, what kind of life are you building? This is where the Proverbs begin. They begin in Proverbs 1 through 9, which is really uh, almost, it sounds like, a sermon after sermon aimed at young men saying, please choose the way of righteousness. Please choose the way of wisdom. Please work hard and you will flourish. And you will have a solid life. It's also, Proverbs 1 through 9, is a warning to young men, especially, saying, if you choose the way of destructive desires, if you choose what appears easy and fun in the moment, for short-term gain, you will end in rot and ruin and smoking rubble of a, of a life. Folly it says, again and again and again in the first nine chapters, is like a woman making promises she never intends to keep, luring you down to the grave. It's bracing stuff. Wisdom is like a lady that calls you to a great banquet of whole food, and she keeps her promises, and you live a full, wonderful life with her. But Proverbs, again and again, calls you to choose. Proverbs 1 through 9 calls the young men to choose between wisdom and folly. So if I'm trying to sum up the first nine chapters of the book with a picture, it would be this one. The picture would be there's two ways. There's two ways to live. One is the way of folly, where you make one bad choice after another, and those bad choices have momentum and they keep moving you in the wrong direction. And you know that. One lie leads to another. One bad choice leads to another. One time you give in to a destructive desire, it leads to another and another and another. And, and it's a snowball that rolls down the hill. Versus wisdom, where one right choice leads to another right choice leads to another. There's two paths that lead to two different destinations. One is life. One is destruction, which is what I'm trying to picture up there. So the imperative in the first nine chapters, the thing that the takeaway, the stuff we're supposed to learn from the first nine chapters of Proverbs is this. The wise work at righteousness. That's such a short sentence, I had to pick every word carefully except the, right? The wise work at righteousness. There's solidness to their life because they make the right choices. Right choice after right choice after right choice, even when it's hard. 
There is a solidness to their lives. The wise work at righteousness. So in chapter 9, verse 1, wisdom has built her house. So chapter 9, verse 1, lay it, lays it out. The destination of making right choice after right choice is life in the house of the righteous. On the other hand, there's another house. Chapter 9, verse 14. Well, let's start in verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. It, it's like a chosen ignorance, uh, like, like a, um, a willful ignorance of consequences. She sits at the door of her house. And she calls to young men. And they go to her house and are destroyed. There's two paths, and there's two different destinations in the book of Proverbs. And the question is that it's like trying to put right in our face and make us ask, so which direction are you headed? What kind of life are you building? Houses are built one stick at a time. Lives are built one decision at a time, like paths are completed one step at a time. They all build momentum, and they each move us towards a destination. How about your, those of you that have kids, or those of you that plan to have kids someday, are you helping your kids get this? Are you helping your kids see that one decision leads to another? That there is a direction to life? That the choices we make, every choice we make matters and impacts the next choice? And all those choices add up to a destination? Like if you look at where you are now, most of the time, most of the time where we are now is the culmination of a bunch of choices that we've made. No, that's not, I mean, that, that is kind of clearing away the complexity of life because sometimes people make choices for us that happen to us. But for most of us, for the most part, most of us are, are where we are because of the choices that we've made. This is what Proverbs is, is, is insisting on. So, as we start 10, 1 through 16, jump back into Proverbs for a little while this summer, we'll look at a couple different series of Proverbs. I want to reintroduce the book with reintroducing this idea of two different paths, two different houses, two different destinations, two different results. But before we jump in and ask what kind of lives are we building, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would open this word to us, and Lord, that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, that you would talk over me while I talk to them. Do this for your glory's sake. Do this for our sake, and do this for the sake of the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. So he's reintroducing the book after the first nine chapters, which we did back in the fall of 2019. So if you want to catch back up, you can look back at fall 2019, and you'll see when we covered the first nine chapters of Proverbs. A wise son makes a glad father. 
True, that is true. When I see my kids making wise decisions, it makes me glad. But, okay, that's a very important word. You're going to see a lot of buts. I know that sounds funny, but you're going to see a lot of buts in these first several verses of Proverbs, and there is a good reason for that. It is because it is showing the contrast between wisdom and folly. So the first nine chapters of the book lay out the contrast between wisdom and folly, and then these 16 verses are like smashing it in our face, showing us the contrast between wisdom and folly. A wise son makes, his, makes a glad father, but a foolish son, a sorrow to his who? His mom. I have to quote Derek Kidner on this. I have to. I try not to. I try to say it in my own words, but I'm like, it's just, I can't. Derek Kidner says, your choice may be lonely. You might be making choices that make you exceedingly lonely. Some of you have done that. I mean, all of us have done that at one point or another. But it cannot be private. It can't. You know who suffers because of your choices? Your mom. Your mom. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. See how, see how it affects the whole house? Your choices might make you lonely, but they are not private. Never think that for a second. That's part of the lie. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, even though you think they do. Now, there is a sense in which if you're wicked, you might make a way to make a quick buck. You might find a way to lie yourself into a quick profit, but they do not profit in the long term. But righteousness, those who make the right hard choice, the right honest choice, time after time after time, it delivers from death. There is a moral fabric to creation, and the wisdom chooses the right thing again and again. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry because he does reward what is right and punish what is wrong, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. When the evil people make evil choices, it just feeds their evil desires and it makes them make more and more bad choices. One bad choice leads to another, but for the grace of God. A slack hand causes poverty. Okay, this one is just fun. So make your hands as slack as you can. Okay, what can you accomplish with slack hands? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, you can make yourself poor with slack hands. That's the point. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Again, I'm trying not to quote Derek Kidner too much because I love his commentary so much. 
But he writes this, there is no shame in being poor. So chapter 10, verse 2 says that, you know, you can gain wickedness, gain treasures through wickedness, but they won't profit, right? So there's no shame in being poor, because sometimes making the right choice will make you poor. Sometimes it will, at least in the short term. But he says, there is shame in slackness. He who sleeps in the summer, or he who sleeps in harvest, is a son who brings shame. You know why? Why would you sleep, why would you sleep during harvest? Because harvest is hard. <laughs> it's, you know, it is hard work. And you do that three, four, ten days in a row, and you're ready to sleep in. And they're out there working the field, and they're like, well, where is your son? Oh, he's sleeping. And the whole community shames you. Why is he sleeping? What are you doing? It's a shame, because now is the time to gather so that we have something in the winter. Again, your choices may make you lonely, but they are not private. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. You do what is right, and people will remember you for that, and you have lived a solid life, and it will last in people's memories as someone who lived a solid, righteous life, as someone who did the right thing again and again. But the name of the wicked will well, I love, I just think that description is so powerful. The name of the wicked will rot. When you think of wickedness, you think of foolishness, you want to think of something unstable, something shaky, something that is corrupt. I, I just think of the word corrupt. I think of when I was riding my bike, training for the Grand Rapids. I just remember it so vividly. I was doing the um, course for the Allegan Triathlon. Get ready for do it, to do it with Drew. And I was riding along, and I saw, I saw this dead deer laying in the side of the road, rotting. And I thought, that is what sin does. It brings death, and it makes us rot. That is corruption. You think of corruption in politics, or corruption in our own lives, or corruption. Like, that is corruption. You think of a live, strong deer running through the fields, and then you think of this rotting, dead, frat, like, stinky, like that. The name of the wicked, people will find out, and your name will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments. That is a difficult thing to do, but the wise of heart will receive instruction. But a babbling fool will talk over them, and will not listen, and they'll give instruction, and he'll just keep on talking, and he will come to ruin. Like a house sliding down a hill into Lake Michigan. Whoever walks in integrity will walk securely. So, is integrity, is it hard to walk in integrity sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out because there is a moral fabric to creation. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. I'm just going to tell you a secret. No one knows what that means. 
<laughs> that was a thing back then, and we don't know what, I mean, if I was to try to wink my eye like that now, no, I wouldn't even know how to do it. But it causes trouble is the point. And it's a parallel to, it's, it's an and, not a but. And a babbling fool will come to ruin. Do you see that in 10.8? There's babbling fool. Fools talk a lot, which is convicting to a guy who talks a lot. Fools don't face things. They talk instead of facing things. Fools make excuses. They talk instead of owning it. A babbling fool will come to ruin. They gossip. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Man, that is what I want. That is what I want. I think that's what you want. The mouth of the righteous is incredibly life-giving. But... Remember the contrast? The mouth of the wicked causes violence. Hatred stirs up strife. Isn't that true? But love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but the rod is for the back of him who lacks sense because he will not learn no matter how many times he is beaten. The wise lay up knowledge even though they don't have to, even when it's inconvenient. They pursue knowledge, thus making their house stronger, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near because he keeps on talking and will not learn. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. Now, this one, this one I, you're, you might disagree with me on this, and there are some translations that translate this differently. Um, I think we can agree on, on the big story, though. So, so let me offer my interpretation of this, and I'm going to follow Walt Key on this, and, and you, might, you might disagree, and that's okay. But let me at least explain where I'm coming from on this. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And you can see how that's true. Like, if you have wealth, it will help you face the hardships of life. Um, the poverty of the poor is their ruin. And that's true. Like, when you're right on the edge of poverty and something bad happens, you can see how you'd slide off the ditch and, and it would be ruinous. But Walkie argues that half of the ten occurrences of wealth in Proverbs, instruct the youth to prize it. Now that makes sense, right? Because wealth is hard-earned. So half the time in the book of Proverbs, they're saying, please respect this. Please, please remember where this came from. Please work hard for this. Please respect money. But the other half instruct the youth not to trust it. Because money goes away quick. Because God is in charge, ultimately, not money. So if you kind of turn with me to chapter 18, verse 11. Chapter 18, verse 11. It says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. Oh, hey, that's exactly what that says up there in chapter 10, verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. But then look at the next phrase in chapter 18, verse 11. And like a high wall, what's one of those last four words? In his imagination. 
This is one of the places. Like, don't trust it. Respect money, but don't trust it. It can go away quick, and it can't save you from everything. So look at what comes right before chapter 18, verse 11. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. So the contrast is the name of the Lord with trusting wealth. Well, that's what's going on here in chapter um, 10, verse 15 and 16. So if we keep going, the wage of the righteous leads to life, which again, you can see again and again and again in Proverbs 1 through 9. But the gain of the wicked is sin, and sin and ultimately death, which you can see again and again and again in the book of Proverbs in 1 through 9. Okay, so what should we do? What should we do? Well, as we look at the big arc of Proverbs and um, these first 16 Proverbs in particular, what comes home to me is the first thing I'd implore you to do is reject the easy and foolish way. That's the first thing I'd implore you to do. To remember, like where we started, that those are destructive desires. That those desires will not lead to flourishing. That those will lead to destruction. So it may be tempting to have a summer full of slacking. But remember what a slack hand produces. Maybe tempting when you are confronted with something to just go on babbling and making excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse or talking over someone so you don't have to face what is wrong. That may be tempting. But Proverbs would say, please see where that leads. Please see that that leads to ruin. All of those excuses, all of your refusing to face it, all of that, please see that it leads to utter ruin. Please see that one excuse leading to another excuse leading to another excuse, please face that that leads to destruction. And that that breeds the next excuse. And that will build momentum to the next, next excuse. And it will be ruinous. Please see that. Please see that the moral rot in your life will not stay put and is not private. And will lead to more rot and more corruption. Please face that. And reject it. So if you were if you were your auditor and you were trying to take an audit of your life or you were your home inspector walking through the house that you've built by your life choices what rot would you say needs to come out what easy bad choices have you been making that you need to start unmaking? As I talk about this, what do you hear yourself going, yeah, but, about?
as you think about that, um, Brendan, will you help me pull this up on stage? I think that it will help um, this next point if, if I can draw a picture. And this is really by request um, from the membership and baptism class because they're like, Nathan is such, I mean, you're laughing. Nathan, Nathan is an okay preacher, but he draw like we've never seen anyone draw before. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. I am an aspiring artist, you know. See, here's the thing. When I talk about this, it got kind of quiet as I talked about rejecting the easy, foolish way because it is really easy to make those foolish choices and follow our destructive desires. It is really easy to do that. In fact, I would argue it is our default. We have all done it. We have all made one bad choice after another, and that is where we find ourselves, and that is where God finds us. So what we need to do is see what the answer is, because if you only read Proverbs, it kind of sounds like, well, the answer is try harder. Is that the answer? If you think about the whole arc of the gospel? And I want, this is what I want to read for, to you from Titus chapter 3. So you can turn there with me if you want in Titus chapter 3. And as I read this to you, I want you to listen for some of the words that we, that you've already heard in Proverbs chapter 10. So listen for key words that you've already heard me read a couple times in Proverbs chapter 10. So Proverbs, I'm sorry, Proverbs are on my mind. Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. It says, for we ourselves were, okay, that's a really, really important word. I have that one squared. I always want to remember there's a were, because I'm glad I have a were. I'm glad you have a were, if you're saved. For we ourselves were once foolish. Does that sound familiar? He says, you're all once foolish. You all used to be making one bad choice after another, leading to more bad choices, leading to more excuses, leading to more rot and ruin and corruption. We were all once foolish. All of us. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, destructive passions, by the way, and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Remember, hate causes strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. He's saying you all were like that once, but were. Were is the key word. But, that's, a really, that's another great word. That's a gospel word. But, but when the goodness and love, loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, Oh, does that sound familiar? Did you hear that word? I tried to bold the word right so you'd know that righteousness is doing things right. Right in accordance with God's word and will. So do we save ourselves? No, he saved us not because of the works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So if I was going to draw a picture of this, here's what I would draw. This is us. 
we were once foolish, and our foolish led to sin that cut us off from God. So, no matter how hard we try, we cannot get to God because we are foolish, making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice after excuse after excuse after excuse. Following our evil, sinful, destructive desires. We keep on doing that. This is what he says in verse 3, right? You were once foolish. But, then he says, you were saved. God saved you. This is something that God did to you. And we know from the whole Bible that this is because Jesus came and died for our sins so that we could be saved, we could be justified, we could be heirs with Christ, and we could be moved to the side of the saved with God and have fellowship with God. The temptation that has always been there for Christians who understand this is to say, oh, so that means I don't have to do anything, right? So that means I can keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving, right? That's always been how Christians or people who understood this wrongly have read it. But look at verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Well, what are the things? God's grace, that we are saved by grace, that we have been justified, that he made it just as though we had never sinned. So we are fully, completely justified. So verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. So that those who believe in God, how are they saved? They're saved by believing in God. By receiving Christ's gift of grace. Here's, here's what I have highlighted in my Bible now. May be careful to devote themselves to good works. So, because you're saved, you are careful. Think of like careful work. Do any of you do work that you have to be careful while you're doing it? I think you do. I think you do skilled work. And you've got to be really careful when you do that work. Be careful to devote themselves to good works. He's saying, you were saved for good works, so devote yourself to these good works. Don't go back to the foolish ways that you used to live in. Don't do that. You have been saved, so devote yourselves to doing good works. This is how we rejoice in God's grace. We rejoice in God's grace that we are saved and we don't have to build ruinous lives anymore. We don't have to make ruinous choices anymore. We don't have to tell one lie after another, make one excuse after another anymore. We have been saved by God's grace for good works. So rejoice in God's grace, that this is not something that you earn, it is something you receive by grace. And because you've received it by grace, work hard at righteousness, okay? You're saved for good works, so this is what Titus says in chapter 3, verse 8, devote yourselves to good works, 
So because you're saved to good works, at least do good work. This is how I understand the Proverbs, to fit into the whole Bible, to fit into the whole gospel. You don't get saved by applying the Proverbs. Because you're saved, you apply the Proverbs. Just like you don't get saved by doing good works, but because you're, sl- you're saved, you do good works. So do good works. This is what you're saved for. You, because you're saved, you can build a righteous life. You can build a solid life. So instead of slacking all summer, why don't you do good work this summer? Pick something and work hard at it for God's glory and your sake. And our sake. Instead of babbling, remember there's verses about the babbling fool, making excuses and telling lie after lie. Instead of lying and making excuses and babbling on and on about why things are wrong and why things are the way they are, find a way to make things right. After all, you've been saved to righteousness. Work at doing what is right. Make it right. Instead of giving in to moral rot, trying to hide moral rot, remember what Proverbs says about the wicked, that they're going to be found out. And repent of moral rot and towards the righteousness of God. Work at righteousness. This is why we've titled the series Wisdom Works. It works in the sense that God blesses it, that it's in line with the moral fabric of creation. So you're not trying to go against God's moral fabric, but also because you have to work at doing what is right. The right choice is a hard choice most of the time. I tried to lay this out for you. So I tried to, I tried to say very clearly that there are two paths. One is the path of folly, and it's the path of following our destructive desires, and it leads to the destination, which is destruction. The other path is the path of righteousness, and it is a harder path to pick, and it is one we can pick because of God's grace, and it leads to life. I tried to say that again and again, and you still have a choice to make. So let me remind you what the stakes are. Proverbs say again and again that there are two ways. And these are the contrasts that you can see in this passage. There's the contrast of wisdom and folly, wickedness and righteousness, crookedness and integrity, laziness and hard work, babble and life-giving speech, hate and love. And they're each of a piece. Now, as you look at that list, which one do you think would be more life-giving? You don't have to answer out loud. You just think about this. Which one do you think would lead to success? Which one do you think would lead to a better marriage? Which one do you think would, on the whole, lead to better parenting? Which one do you think, on the whole, would lead to better friendships? Which one do you think, on the whole, would lead to better health? 
which one do you think on the whole would lead to the glory of God? I'm saying there are two paths, two different destinations. And this is what our Lord said. Our Lord was blindingly clear in Matthew chapter 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, those who hear my words and do them are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And those who hear Jesus' words and do not do them, he says, are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us believe that there is wisdom and there is folly, that there are two different paths, and believe we have a meaningful choice to make about those paths, and believe that one choice affects the next, and one destination is our... Help us reject the lie that each choice is isolated from everything else in life, and help us see the truth That our decisions build momentum for better or for worse for us and for everyone around us. Help us run to you for life and help and power. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.